It was a very cruel scene, executed in an unusual manner. coven hi my sweet children so we decided just on a whim that we're the cruel coven now that's what we are we were trying to think of something creative to call ourselves and our listeners and we couldn't for the past you know three weeks that we've been doing this and then it just came to tori in an epiphany a fucking epiphany and here is the motherfucking cruel coven here it is this is cruel and unusual the podcast by the way i'm tori and i'm katie and we're fucking stupid (laughs) a little (laughs) Just a little. Um, before I ask you today's question, I just thought we should talk a little bit about the fucking book signing that we went to. Yeah. That was exciting and fun and It new. was fun. I feel like I'm still recovering, though. I feel like I was on a magic carpet ride. <laughs> <laughs> I like to dream. Okay. It took a lot out of me, it if really I'm did. being honest. I'm, I am such an extreme introvert, and I love being by myself. Mm-hmm. Like, if I love you and I haven't spoken to you in a year... I love you. You don't have to question that. Right. I just, I need my fucking space. It's not you. It's me. Don't. I'm the same don't, way. Don't. I'm not sorry. <laughs> and after, like, after the signing, we went back to the hotel room and we were just fucking yeah. exhausted. Yeah. I'm yeah. still tired from it. I feel like we were both just being very bitchy, inwardly and outwardly, probably. And we yeah. just weren't talking. No. I was just scrolling on my phone because I just needed to fucking decompress. You just have to sit. It's just being, like, having to be ready. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of it is just the noise. Yeah. All around. Yeah. Okay, we're complaining, but it was wonderful. It was fucking awesome. And I was so happy to meet people that we have known online for the past, like, Mm year-ish of our lives. Yes. Like, do we want to shout them out? Sure. And they can go look for their books? Yeah. Okay, so we had, obviously, Christina Hart. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Obviously, the Christina Hart. She made me cry. We had motherfucking Cat Savage. Motherfucking Cat Savage. We had the super sweet and talented J.R. Rogue. J.R. Rogue. And your bestie. Cynthia Rodriguez. Are you? <laughs> Hello. I can't think. <laughs> it's too early for it's you to be thinking, Katie. It's the ass crack of dawn. Oh, the ass crack of dawn. But you know what? I woke up to a thunderstorm this morning. You know what I woke it up to? It was fucking awesome. I had my thunderstorm playing on my TV. Uh huh. It was midnight thunderstorm for sleep, nine hours dark screen from the Sleep Well channel. <laughs> and then I also had a real thunderstorm mm-hmm. outside of my window. Double. Double storm penetration. We were DPing it up, baby. Okay. No, but really, that was, I have never been happier in my entire life to wake up as I was this morning. I know. When his fucking alarm went off at 5 (laughs) a.m. and I wanted to kill everyone, but I didn't have to because my soul was alive with the sound of thunder. Doesn't it just spark electricity through your veins? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love it. It made me want to get up and do a fucking jig. Because you know what? It's been so sunny. Yeah. It's been sunny. It feels like spring. The sun I hate it. sucks the life out of me. It's truly painful for my eyes. Yeah. It really flares up my fibromyalgia. <laughs> <laughs> it might be a vampire. Oh, fuck. You okay, might be anyway, a vampire. And we also need to say a gigantic fucking thank you to Crystal because Crystal yes. was the one who literally did, like quite literally did fucking everything. Of course. Even one of the people who were supposed to like help 
do it came up to us and they were like crystal just did everything i didn't even have to do my job because crystal did all of it she wasn't mad about it no she wasn't she fucking loved it mm-hmm. she was like i got to sit back and not have to worry for two minutes yeah so, crystal's a rock star yeah crystal you're never. fucking awesome I can't even manage my own life yeah um and I, we met other people too but it's a fucking blur oh cj warren oh cj hey. warren hi cj warren i don't sweet. think she listens to this but if you do you're very sweet and thank you for we went up to her at the very end mm-hmm. like on our way out and I was a fucking nightmare mess at that point <laughs> so thank you for seeing me at my worst and judging me but not telling me about it okay do you want to get into the podcast yeah let's okay. do it so I have a question for you today because I go first okay great so I ask the fucking question I'm so excited okay if you Katie me Katie? yeah you Katie oh. if you Katie were to be killed by a serial killer tomorrow how would you want to die in your perfect world how would you want to die all right let's see strangulation takes a long time mm-hmm. and that's a horrible way to die mm-hmm. same with drowning mm-hmm. although i don't know if that happens a whole lot with serial killers no drowning. i don't think serial killers really um, get off on drowning their victims i don't want any of my arteries to be cut and let and be left to to bleed out mm-hmm. i'm i'm gonna take a gunshot to the head <laughs> I was what going I'm gonna to take. say that. That can be your answer too. I was okay. So what I was going to say was I would just rather get it over with, do it like point blank, right here. Just be done. Okay. Well, you're just inviting this to happen to you now. Okay. This is the secret. Okay. This is you're gonna you're gonna bring into your life what you put out into the world, Tori. <laughs> you're inviting it. Come the fuck at me with my two <laughs> fucking home security systems and my five thousand dogs. Stay afraid. Stay on your toes. Or God will cut you down. God will cut me down every time. Sooner or later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. Do you want to go ahead and tell them what we're uh, talking about today? Our theme of the week. Did you forget? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, serial killer couples or just like killer couples. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to be talking about the, can I get into it or do you have anything else to say? My deodorant smells really strong. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't put any on yet today. Better than B.O true okay i'm going to be talking about the lonely hearts killers i know nothing about this really I'm nothing very at all. excited nothing at all not even a little bit no nope. okay i'm going to start with a little lady named martha beck martha beck was born martha seabrook on may 6th 1919 in milton florida she had a pretty shitty childhood by all accounts her mother was really really fucking mean to her and basically got off on making fun of her weight and about her looks as well isn't that fucked up what the fuck yeah yeah Um, that means mom was probably very insecure oh yeah i had to take it out on her little oh i hate that yeah i've seen a shit ton of pictures of martha now while doing my research and just so the listeners can kind of picture her and i guess you too because you don't know anything about her Mm -hmm. okay She has dark hair and I believe dark eyes. It's kind of hard to tell because every single photo I could find was in black and white, obviously, Mm -hmm. because of the time period. Wait, what year did you say this was? She was born in 1919. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And color film did come out before she was dead <laughs> spoiler alert but there i still couldn't really find i didn't try super hard to find it was probably really expensive to get i'm sure get it done. was a brand new thing at that time so whatever so i can't tell but they look like she, or it looks like she has dark eyes um and she is a plus-sized woman honestly i don't think she's ugly by any means she's not the most attractive person i've ever seen but who the fuck am i to judge <laughs> you know what i mean but since her mom was calling her ugly and I was like, what kind of shitty mom makes fun of her child's appearance? 
uh, I looked at her mother's pictures because <laughs> I could find one. Hmm. And I don't think she's that fucking cute. Okay. Well, that's probably why yeah. she was so mean yeah. to her daughter. So I feel like she just had a stick up her ass and she was insecure about herself. So she had to just make her daughter into a fucking killer. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway, kids in Martha's class at school also did the same thing, Mm. tormenting Martha because of her appearance. Martha also made a claim against her brother, saying that he molested her when she was only 10 years old. Oh. Yeah. She said that when she told her mother about the molestation, her mother beat her. Oh, great. That's what you do. Yeah, because she said that that Martha was lying. (sighs) Yeah. Isn't that fucking disgusting? It's the worst thing. I get that you wouldn't want to ever have to choose one child over another in that instance but if that's molestation Mm -hmm. we're not gonna whatever i can't i haven't taken my blood pressure pill today so i can't (laughs) get into it okay martha had a glandular condition that caused her to look like a grown woman by the age of 10 oh yeah this condition also caused her to have the sex drive of of a fully grown adult oh no yeah which is kind of confusing to me because i feel like everyone has a different sex drive Mm -hmm. but i'm Based on all the different things that I was reading about it, it seems like she had a fucking sex drive. Okay. Now, Martha enrolled in and later graduated from nursing school. When she finished, she moved out to California and worked at an army hospital. Soon after moving to California, she became pregnant, which caused her to move back to Florida, where she gave birth to a baby girl named Willa Dean. I like the name Willa. Me too. I think it's really cute. She told people that she got pregnant by a man in the army who died while on active duty. This was not the case, but she Mm. felt very ashamed and alone. Mm -hmm. And I feel like people still judge mothers who are either not married or whatever now. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine how they judged them then? Once settled back in Florida, she worked in a funeral home and in Pensacola Hospital. It was there that she met Alfred Beck, who got her pregnant. So now she's on her second pregnancy. And because she was pregnant, he decided that he would marry her, which was the only reason he said he would marry her. He left her six months after they married. (sighs) Yeah. She gave birth to a son that she named Anthony Beck. Feeling alone once again, now with two children to care for, she decided to place an ad in a Lonely Hearts Club. Are you familiar with Lonely Hearts Club? No. Ooh, it's so fucking intriguing to me. Ooh. I love it. Okay. So, the Lonely Hearts Club was basically the newspaper's dating app. Oh. Like a Tinder for the like newspaper. Like a personal, yeah. like, ad. Yeah. Okay. You know, I know, I don't ever read the newspaper anymore. They've, they've done away with a lot of them. But how they used to have, how they used to have the classifieds mm-hmm. where you could buy, like, puppies and shit. <laughs> puppies and shit. <laughs> um, anyway, so... The Lonely Hearts ads first appeared in newspapers in the 1600s. They were called personal ads or matrimonial ads at the time. I'm going to read just a couple of the ads that I found online, and credit will be in the show notes because I'm I'm going to read them straight from the pictures. Okay. They're really, really cute, too. I just love how they look. This one says, Lonely Hearts in big capital letters. Let us arrange a romantic correspondence for you. Meet your sweetheart through the foremost high-class social correspondence club in the world. Doesn't it sound just, like, fancy? Compared to, like, Tinder profiles yeah. that I've seen, like, like screenshots of the worst yeah. ones. Oh, um, yeah. This is a club for refined, lonely people. Members everywhere. Strictly confidential in caps. Efficient and dignified service. We have made thousands of lonely people happy. Why not you? 
I feel like I'm a refined, lonely people. Sure you are. <laughs> and then it said, write today, if sincere. Even more, Box 908, Jacksonville, Florida. I have a sweetheart for you. <gasps> that's what it says. Okay, oh so that's God. the first one. Okay, the next one. In all caps, handsome widower, fine physique, childless, refined, accomplished, temperate, educated, irreproachable, with lovable disposition. In fact, possessing all of those rare, noble, generous qualities of heart and mind that make happy homes and content wives. With 200,000 in my own right, I seek a lovable, sensible wife. Honesty. 185 East 65th Street, New York. I'm Why fucking there. be out? I would fucking be out because I'm not fucking sensible at all. <laughs> no, but he, uh, wait, what's the 200,000? I'm pretty sure that means like that's what he's, like what's in his bank maybe. Oh. Maybe that's his life insurance policy. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I'm going to go find him. Well, yeah. Like I said, I would be out because I'm not lovable or sensible. Well, me either, but <laughs> okay. he can Third. deal. We seek husband for maiden lady. Her age is 23 and she is worth $8,500. <laughs> Next, a bachelor girl, age 31, worth $28,000. Widow, age 42, no children worth ninety thousand dollars because she's got no children yeah she's a fucking gem a rarity and for many others mutual book exchange toledo ohio hmm. what the fuck <laughs> okay now another one personal an old bachelor returning from the mines finds his old sweetheart married and old acquaintances scattered Aw, isn't that sad? That is that His is old sweetheart went and got married Aww. when he was in the mines. And everything's scattered. Yeah, fuck. He desires a lady acquaintance. Object, marriage. Address, 68 Tribune. Hmm. Hmm. He's a little bit mysterious. Sounds a little spicy. Yeah, he probably has some fucking dirt and soot on his face. <laughs> is there soot in mines? <laughs> or is that just in a fireplace? Okay. Coal, coal dust. Matrimony. Widow, 44, Southerner, Stranger, I don't know what that means. Stranger? Yeah. That Own might not home. be good to put in there. <laughs> Own home, West End, would like the hearthstone of her heart swept oh. and the cobwebs brushed away. Oh, me too, honey. Matrimony, address West 100, Post Dispatch. Okay, baby. She would like the hearthstone of her heart swept and the cobwebs oh brushed away. Get those cobwebs out, baby. She was a poet. Is this Edgar Allan Poe? <laughs> okay. Last one, because I could literally do this all day and just <laughs> dream about what these people looked like and shit. Okay. I am 30. I am wealthy. I lost my mother for whom I sacrificed youth. I dread a lonely future. Seek husband and true companion. Orphan Carebreaker, 124 East 25th Street, New York. Aww. So he, she basically, I think, took care of her mother until her mother died. And she now she doesn't have time. anyone. Yeah. She needs a caregiving support group. Yes, she does. Okay. Anywho, it was not uncommon to be swindled through these personal ads, and newspapers even ran their own ads and wrote columns about people who were conned or even murdered due to, like, they literally put their full addresses in these ads. Yeah. So people would, that was like a serial killer's fucking handbook. It's crazy because it still happens. Yeah. The newspapers.com blog says, quote, Perhaps due to the number of people swindled through Lonely Hearts ads, newspaper columns criticizing the ads likewise abounded. 
The Chicago Tribune even went so far in 1884 as to fill more than five columns with, and this is the headline, the interesting results of the experiment of a venturesome reporter who placed a fake marriage ad in the paper and then analyzed the responses of 36 women who replied to it, end Aww. quote. Yeah. That's mean. Isn't that, ugh, I just, you have to feel kind of shitty enough that you have to do that anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not that it, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. There's plenty of people who can't meet people just because of situations. Right. But I'm sure that when you're doing that, you feel insecure. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, yeah. And then to know you were fucking conned and swindled. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's talk about the piece of shit that was Raymond Fernandez. All right. Are you ready for him? I'm ready. Okay. Raymond was born on December 17th, 1914 in Hawaii to Spanish parents. There wasn't a whole lot about his childhood. There was only one place that I saw that he had a bad childhood, and every other thing I read was Mm -hmm. they didn't have enough info or he had a good one. So his family moved to Connecticut when he was around the age of three. Once an adult, he moved to Spain and served as a merchant marine and later served in the British intelligence in World War II. He got married and had four children, who he later decided to abandon. Oh, yeah. He decided to. Yeah. I'm going to have four children with this lady and then I'm just going to leave them all. I'm just going to peace out of here. Yeah, sounds fun. Uh, he did. He abandoned them when he moved back to the U.S. to New York to look for employment. There was an accident in which a steel hatch fell on his head. Unfortunately, he didn't die. Oh. <laughs> because if he would have, none of this shit would have happened. Mm-hmm. This accident fractured his skull and some believe this incident is what led to the 180 degree change in his behavior. People who knew him said he was never the same, and people attribute later events to this accident. The only thing that I could think of while reading that was, but he was kind of a piece of shit already if he abandoned his children, right? Yeah. So I feel like he probably had some of the piece of shit attributes already. And then it didn't knock some sense into him. (laughs) Yeah, instead it knocked it all the fuck out. Wow. Okay. After I heard about that, I quite literally Googled, can a brain injury change your personality? Because I had a feeling it could definitely mess with you and alter certain things, but I wasn't totally sure about this, but the specifics. An article on Cognitive FX USA says, quote, brain injuries can damage connections that go from the cerebral cortex to the limbic system. These connections allow us to evaluate our emotional reactions, understand how important events are, and decide on a response that meets the demand of the situation. When these connections are injured, the emotional response differs from what it was before the injury, and it is not always in sync with the current situation, end quote. Psychology Today says, Damage to specific areas of the brain, including the frontal and temporal lobes, amygdala, and hippocampus, might leave the survivor vulnerable to agitation, volatile emotions, memory impairment, verbal attacks, physical aggression, and impaired impulse control, end quote. That makes a lot of sense, Mm -hmm. especially when you know that a lot of people who kill people (laughs) have had TBIs or other types of, you know... So it's pretty obvious that an event like that could have caused his personality to change and the emotional response changes as well, which could have played up a pretty vital role in his actions that are coming up in this story. Sometime later, after that accident, he was sent to prison. Do you want to guess why? Um, no. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, for killing someone? (laughs) No, that's not why. My brain's not fucking. He was sent to prison. I love that you just said no. (laughs) No, I do not. 
He was sent to prison because he stole clothes. What? Panties? Big bad motherfucker. Did he steal panties? I don't know what the fuck he stole, but some Do kind of... Do you hate of, the word panties? I hate, fucking hate that word. Why? Call them underwears. So... Moist panties. So, now while in prison, he met a man who taught him about black magic and voodoo. Do, 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 do. He believed these things gave him... Just fucking wait till you hear this. Raymond believed that black magic and voodoo gave him an irresistible power over women and that he could charm any woman he met. Eh, wrong. Yeah, fuck off, you. Fucking try me, Raymond. Honestly, <laughs> you try and charm me with your fucking black muju. <laughs> fucking Raymond. Try and charm me with your black voodoo magic, Raymond. I fucking dare you. You're dead, so you can't, but still. I dare you. Maybe I bet he, he can. smelled really bad. Maybe he can from the great beyond. I'd fucking doubt charm it. Charm me. <laughs> I wish that they could see me doing that. She just did a shimmy. I just did a, a shimmy big shake. fucking shimmy. Okay. After his prison sentence, he moved to New York City and began answering personal ads from women that were in the newspapers, which obviously ties in the Lonely Hearts Club. Mm -hmm. At first, Raymond whined and dined the ladies he contacted through personal ads. He would then get very close to them and steal their money and or their possessions because he was a big piece of shit. Probably their panties. Probably their panties. And their stockings. And they were probably moist panties. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I this way? A lot of the women who had something like this happen to them never bothered to report the incidents because they were ashamed or they were embarrassed. And prob- nobody probably nobody would have believed, believed them. them. Yeah, because Raymond was a big bad man. You know, he was just charming all over town, yeah. charming here, charming there, charming, charming there. fucking everywhere. God. <sighs> oh, that was a good one. <laughs> So they were super embarrassed because they had to even deal with putting up personal ads to find a lover or a partner. They didn't want to go and admit that they had been taken advantage of on top of that. They had to deal with his bullshit too. Right. Not only do they are they having problems finding someone. Right. They just are trying to fucking meet someone and give them all the love. Okay. All the love in their hearts. All of the fucking love. From the bottoms of their hearts. <sighs> From the very depths. <laughs> Well, I can't say that word very well. We said it at the exact we, same time. We did. And they just want their fucking cobwebs swept. They just want a little bit of sexy time for That's God's all. sakes. God. What do you have to do? What do you fucking do? have to do? Get fucking killed? So due to this, it was hard to find out how many people were actually being conned through these ads, but it definitely happened often. Raymond met one woman through the personal ads and he ended up taking her to Spain to meet his wife. Oh. Because that's fucking normal. Wait, he yeah. met a woman? He met he a woman. He took her to Spain to meet his, his wife? His wife and his family, yeah. What? 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 I don't fucking know what was... I mean, he got hit in the head. He's alone. <laughs> I don't know what what he was thinking. I want to know what the women thought. Me too. What? I'd love to know, but I couldn't find anything about them. Oh, I'm so confused. Okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> so... Whatever. Whatever, Raymond, you fucking joke. It was reported that the woman who he brought to Spain died under suspicious circumstances. Raymond then took possession of her property with a forged will. Mm. Yep. In 1947, he read and answered one of Martha Beck's personal ads. Raymond then ended up going down to Florida to meet Martha. Not long after he went back to New York City, Martha was fired from her job. She decided to move to New York City and took her children with her and landed on Raymond's doorstep. Raymond told her he would take her, but he didn't want anything to do with those two children. (laughs) Isn't that fucking sweet? Fuck off. What a true romantic, honey. Martha was a complete dick, 
and she decided to turn her children over to the Salvation Army so she could live happily ever after with Raymond. Fuck both of them. Honestly. Wow. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. And the horse you rode it on. But but you know what? That's probably the fucking best thing she could have done for those damn kids. I mean, honest. Well, depends on how they were treated there. I hope But yeah, hopefully it was better than better than with her. Raymond ended up confessing to Martha that he was a con man. So he was very (laughs) honest, you know. How do you think he said it? Hey, Martha. He probably said it like this. Hey, baby, I'm a con man. Let's fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Because I'm a con man, baby. I'm a Conway Twitty. (laughs) He told her that he only answered the personal ads to con women. She liked it. (laughs) (laughs) It made her hot in the crotch. That's what I wrote. I just want to tell you guys that I did not read anywhere that it made her hot in the crotch. But I mean, it said that she liked it. So I'm just going to assume. And she had a high sex drive. So it made her hot in the crotch. She, <laughs> you had to say she, it again. I, it made her so hot in the crotch. <laughs> she thought his schemes were cool and wanted to be part of it. Were cool. <laughs> God, Raymond, you're so cool. I want to be part of your schemes. Can I be a con woman? That's probably what she said back to him. Probs. Getting back to it now. God, stop fucking making me joke around, Katie. This isn't a comedic serial killer podcast. She thought his schemes were cool and wanted to be part of it. I feel like a lot of this is probably because how she was treated growing up, which sucks, but she probably just wanted to be part of something. Mm -hmm. Doesn't make it better. Not fucking sticking up for her. But I feel like she was always just turned away. And she's now finding someone who is quote unquote different the way she was. And seems to like want her. Yeah. They conned women together for two fucking years. Martha posed as Raymond's sister as to not draw any weird suspicions, even though I'd be pretty fucking suspicious if my love interest sister was constantly clinging to him. (laughs) But whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just bringing my sister on our dates and I'm just, (laughs) you know, it's fucking weird. That's what they did. She never let him be alone with the woman except at nighttime to sleep. Mm -hmm. Martha was super jealous because she had to see Raymond screwing around with all of these women that they were conning. Apparently, the two were in love, meaning Martha and Raymond. At least that's what reports say. But I feel like you can't really know for sure, obviously, with Raymond because Raymond was a con man. Right. But she was definitely in love with him. Mm Mm-hmm. They felt by working together, their victims would be less suspecting. Oftentimes, women feel better when there's another woman around. So Martha was essentially just playing the role of a confidant, making the woman feel comfortable and secure. That's dangerous. Uh, Yeah, especially because there's so many different things, like interviews and stuff online, that say, oh, you know, if they're, I always do that. Oh, Oh. (laughs) when I start trying to say what someone else says. They'll be like, well, if I was walking in a Walmart parking lot and there was a man behind me, I'd be, you know, walking faster and I'd be looking behind me. But if there was a woman behind me, I would feel safe. Mm-hmm. But that's fucking stupid because yeah. this is what people do. I'm, I'm pointing to my phone. They use women to lure other women in and make yep. them feel safe. So if you see a woman, do not trust them. If you see a man, do not trust them. If you see any person in the world do not fucking trust anyone but your mother fucking self okay one of the very first victims of raymond and martha's lonely heart scam was esther hen raymond married her in february of 1948 and esther welcomed raymond and martha into her apartment now i wanted just to throw in there that they really liked when women would allow them into their apartments or homes well yeah they could raid it and take all their panties exactly all of the moist panties and But the most important thing was because they could then vanish. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? If you're inviting people into your own home, you have to get them out. Right. 
Raymond quickly became irritated with Esther when she wouldn't sign over her pension and insurance. Esther somehow got out of the arrangement with her life and most of her possessions. It was reported that they got away with $100 of her money and her vehicle, and $100 in 1948 is about $1,100 in today's world. That's a fucking hit. Yeah, especially, I mean, that was a lot of money back then. It really, really was. So not to escalate quickly, but next we have Myrtle Young, who was reportedly the first murder committed by Raymond and Martha, at least the first one that they knew about. Mm -hmm. Raymond and Myrtle met and married in Illinois. Ooh. I don't know. I couldn't figure it out. Martha was super jealous of Myrtle and supposedly even slept in the bed with the two of them. Oh, no. Hello. Fucking alarm bells. Who just decides they're going to crawl into bed with their fucking brother? I would never. We're having a sleep over a sleep (laughs) over Raymond. Move over. Maybe the other. What's her name? Myrtle? Myrtle. Yeah. Maybe she was into it. Maybe she liked it. Martha did just about anything to cause Raymond not to sleep with the women they were swindling. She would sleep in the bed with them, pop in the bedroom for late night check-ins, and even give the women sleeping pills. Oh, no. Yeah, so they would fall asleep before they could be intimate with Raymond. Yeah. She was not, I mean. You're in the wrong line of work. (laughs) Honestly, Martha was the fucking original cock block. (laughs) Martha was one big cock block. You have to remember that these women are lonely women, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So they are desperately seeking love and acceptance and probably companionship. So they looked past red flags quite often, especially if Raymond's black magic voodoo charm shit was working. (laughs) Uh, I mean, makes sense. Yeah, clearly he was doing something right. Raymond was sick of Martha's jealousy and ended up giving Myrtle a drug that caused her to lose consciousness. He wanted to fuck and steal. Yep, fuck and steal, baby. Fuck and steal. They then placed her on a bus while unconscious. What? Yes. <laughs> no. Yes, back to Arkansas where she later died in a hospital. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah, isn't that fucked up? Yeah, so somehow they got her on this bus and when, when the, I guess the final stop or whatever they noticed that she was unconscious so they took her to a hospital and she died i would pay to see how they how they pulled that off getting her on there yeah and getting back off it's just fucking i can't okay (laughs) oh no raymond and martha got away with over four thousand dollars of myrtle's money and that is forty four thousand today oh my god yeah so not only did she fucking die because of these pieces of shit Mm -hmm. but her family probably was left with nothing too right oh my god so the deadly duo then made their way back to new york from wherever the fuck they were and scammed lonely unsuspecting women along the way Mm. it's 1949 now and raymond gets engaged to janet fay who was a 66 year old widow living in albany new york janet was well off an avid churchgoer and had a very nice apartment, is what <laughs> what was said online. With a parlor. I yeah, bet. with a parlor, honey. She was essentially a perfect victim for Raymond and Martha because she was wealthy and she was lonely. Janet knew Raymond as Charles Martin, a devout Catholic. When they met in person, Raymond once again said Martha was his sister. Soon after meeting, Raymond proposed, and it was decided that Janet would move into Raymond's apartment in Long Island. So they were kind of like changing their ways a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know why that was, though, because she had a nice apartment, it said. So maybe for some reason she didn't want him there. I don't know. Maybe she didn't want the fucking sister there. Probably. I get it, baby. Okay. Before this happened, though, Janet had to empty her bank accounts, valued at $6,000. I have no idea how Raymond got her to do this other than the black magic voodoo, but I'm sure there must have been some excuse that he made up to tie into it, but I don't know what it was. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So one night, Janet and Raymond were in bed together, and Martha caught them doing the nasty. Oh, no. Yeah. She got incredibly pissed. She smashed Janet's head in with a hammer. <gasps> yeah. Oh Repeatedly. <gasps> meaning more than once. Is that what that means? Yeah. Raymond then finished the job by strangling her with a scarf. Mm -hmm. They stored her body in Raymond's actual sister's house in the basement. Ultimately, he ended up burying it in the cellar of a house they were renting so no one could find it. They then supported themselves by cashing checks that Janet had written prior to her death. Isn't that the most fucked up thing you've heard today? That is really fucked up. Yeah. I wonder if they had planned on killing her. I don't think so. It just sounded like it was a... And he um, had to strangle her because maybe... Right, yeah. I mean, if you're... If you smash someone's head in with a hammer repeatedly, she's probably... I don't even know how he had to strangle her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Raymond and Martha then wrote letters to Janet's family. They used a typewriter, and the tone sounded just a little bit too off to her Mm -hmm. family. Her family then became suspicious, so the two of them got the fuck out of there and went back over to Michigan in January of 1949. They then answered the personal ad that Delphine Downing placed. She was 41 and a widowed mother of a two-year-old. Raymond again used his Charles Martin persona, saying he loved children. Clearly, he fucking didn't. He abandoned four and then made Martha get rid of her two kids. So, no, Charles. Apparently, Charles loves children. Raymond does not. (laughs) They spoke or wrote or whatever, and they communicated for a few weeks prior to meeting in person. Delphine allowed Raymond, a.k.a. Charles, and his sister into her own home. Delphine and Raymond became sexually active, which caused Martha to be a pissy little dick. So she was pissing around, and one night Delphine caught Raymond without his toupee on. That was real? Yeah. I said it earlier. I think you're going to cut that part out. But yeah, he was, he wore a toupee because of the big scar, I guess. And he was, he was balding. So yeah. So Delphine caught him without his toupee on and I don't know if maybe she didn't know it was a toupee or she just didn't know about the scar but either way that made her start wondering what else he was hiding from her she ended up accusing Raymond of conning her so ding 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 we have a fucking winner finally Delphine (laughs) yeah Delphine baby Raymond gave her sleeping pills which knocked her out and during all of this Delphine's two-year-old daughter wouldn't stop crying so you're not gonna like this so I'm sorry I mean not that I like it either but you really get upset about this stuff but I'm not going into any detail, so don't worry. Okay. Delphine's two-year-old daughter wouldn't stop crying, so Martha strangled her, but Mm-mm. didn't quite kill her. No. Yeah. They no. were worried that Delphine would ask questions when she woke up due to the ligature marks, so they shot Delphine at point-blank range no. while she was unconscious. And then they decided after shooting her to stay at her home for a few days, probably just to figure out what their next move was. And the two-year-old started crying uncontrollably once again, and this time Martha really lost her damn shit, and she drowned her in a basin of water. I hate her. Mm -hmm. I know. But at least I didn't give you a bunch of details. Do you feel okay at the moment? I'm okay. The two buried Delphine and her sweet little baby underneath the house. Neighbors got suspicious then because they hadn't seen them in a few days, but they kept seeing Martha and Raymond Mm -hmm. going in and out, and they called authorities who found the bodies. Raymond and Martha had been having a grand old fucking time with the movies and came home and got busted. They quite literally walked right into the investigation. Well, good. Yeah, and the neighbors were able to be like, hey, yeah, that's the shady couple who moved in, and now our neighbors are fucking missing. Arrest them. Yeah, arrest those people, officer. So the two were brought into the DA's office, and they proudly told investigators about the murders they committed. There was no beating around the bush. They just told them everything. They also knew that Michigan 
which is where they were, did not have the death penalty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Raymond offered up the most information. He went into detail about all of their murders because the DA, because the DA said he would not transfer them to New York to answer for Janet Faye's murder. And just a little note to tip, I mean, not to tip anyone, any future murdering psychopaths off, but the DA does not have to stay true to any bargains, okay? So, love that. Yeah. The DA then transferred them to New York, where they stood trial in June of 1949 for the murder of Janet Fay. Well, good. And New York does have the death penalty, motherfuckers. Well, good. <laughs> so, the New York press was all over these two. They scrutinized Martha's weight and the odd relationship that Raymond and Martha had. Why? I don't know why everyone cares so much about her fucking weight. Why don't we care about her shitty fucking personality? Right? Okay? She killed people in a baby. Shut yeah, the fuck up. That's what up. fucking matters. Here's what she looks like. So, when Martha was called up to the witness stand, Martha walked over to Raymond first and gave him a huge kiss. The two loved the attention and the cameras on them and shit. You know what I mean? So they really both played it up for the press. Fuck off. The defense tried to show Martha and Raymond as insane. Martha had admitted on stand that she tried to commit suicide a few times. The jury did not buy into their bullshit and they were both deemed guilty. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Justice. (laughs) Justice for Janet, justice for Delphine, justice for that sweet little baby. On August 22nd, the judge sentenced them to death. Goodbye. Goodbye. Losers. The U.S. Supreme Court wouldn't review the case, and Thomas Dewey, the New York governor, denied a plea for clemency. I'm just like nodding my head and and like shoving my fist in the air (laughs) because I feel fucking good about this. Raymond and Martha were then on death row. Martha was said to be having an affair with a prison guard. However, the two continued their weird-as-hell relationship. They professed their love for each other, and any time cameras were involved, they were doting on each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fucking sick. Martha was always fixing Raymond's tie. Raymond was always hugging her. They were kissing. Fucking Shut the fuck up. Yeah, get the fuck out of my face. Raymond and Martha each ate their very last meal on March 8th, 1951. Hooch.net. That's such a funny name. (laughs) I almost started laughing as I was saying it. Hooch.net reported that Raymond requested an onion omelet. Fucking disgusting. Why? Who the fuck would want that as their last meal? Just an onion omelet. No, there's a little more. French fries, chocolate candy, and a Cuban cigar. Oh. Yeah, you're so fucking sophisticated, Raymond. You piece of shit. Oh, and he was such a fucking selfless little man. He shared everything with his prison cellmates. Ooh. Oh, you're so great. You're so nice selfless. Guy. Fuck yourself. Martha asked for a heavy dinner, a fried chicken, fried potatoes, and a salad. Also, when I was looking this up, it said, despite her weight, Martha asked for, I'm like, why? Shut up. The fuck do people care? Why is that the one thing that people keep talking God. about? Let's talk about the fact that she is a fucking psychopath. Yeah. Okay, and it's not because her, she's... but why is that relevant? Exactly. Okay. Why didn't they talk about Raymond's? Is it Raymond? right? Wait. You stupid ass! You're fucking balding, and you have a scar on your head. Why can't we talk about that? Yep. No, nope. bitch. It's the women's weight. No, just her weight because that's important. That night, I like how we can seamlessly just go right back into right. it. That night, the two were executed in the electric chair. Raymond went first. He was the third of that day, so they had a lot of executions. Oh, shit. Yeah, a lot of people were fucking dying. His last words were, "I want to shout it out." I love Martha. What does the public know about love? What the fuck do you know about love? I hate him. Oh, no. I want to shout it out. I love Martha. You know what that reminds me of? The Grinch. If I was the executioner, I just would have cut him off right in the middle. I would have been like, go fuck yourself, Raymond. You don't deserve any fucking last words. No. Or an onion omelet. You don't even deserve an onion omelet. No. Raymond. 
Martha was then executed. Her last words. This is just fucking poetic. Let me just tell you. Okay. What does it matter who is to blame? My story is a love story. Mm -hmm. But only those tortured with love can understand what I mean. I was pictured as a fat, unfeeling woman. I am not unfeeling, stupid, or moronic. (laughs) In the history of the world, how many crimes have been attributed to love? Those were her last words. Okay, Martha Honey. Martha Honey. Martha Honey. Martha Honey. And that's not why you killed. That wasn't love, baby. Doesn't have anything to do with it, Martha. Even on their deathbeds, there was no remorse spoken of. They never once apologized. They always seemed proud of their murders, and even their last words had no no correlation to the crimes. They just spoke about love, which I really don't think either of them were capable of feeling. Raymond and Martha are suspected of killing 17 people. 17? Yeah. Wow. Although they were only tried for one which was the murder of Janet Faye in New York. They set up the term Lonely Hearts Killer for many serial serial killers to come. There were many other murderers who followed similar patterns as Raymond and Martha. And that's the story of Raymond Fernandez and Martha Beck, two shitty shit fucks who had no remorse for their actions, even in death. Hate them. Fucking hate them. Vomit. Worthless pieces of shit. I'm going to try some voodoo, black voodoo magic on you, you fucking piece of shit. So I'm curious to know what killer couples you're talking about. Okay. Okay. So this is Chelsea Griffin's story. Okay. I have no idea who that is. Uh-uh. I didn't either. <laughs> I'm glad that you're agreeing that I have no idea who it is. <laughs> no, you did not. Thank you. Know who that was. And neither did I. This is kind of, it's, it's a wild ride. So just buckle up. Buckle in the fuck up. Put on your harness. Put on your moist panties. Get comfy. Get ready. <laughs> no. Chelsea Griffin grew up in Salem, Virginia. She was a super talented athlete. She played soccer from like the time she was three, just like her mom. Her mom played soccer. She had a promising future. She got an academic scholarship for Anderson University. Oh, wow. So she was super smart, too. Her goal was to play soccer professionally. She played at Anderson for a year, but they had a D3 team, and she wanted to play for a D1 team. I had to ask my husband what that meant, and the D is for... um, uh, no, I forgot. Is it... Um, the D is for... Um, district. Yeah. No. Yeah. District. Division. Division. You got oh it. Oh, my God. You got it, honey. Look at you. We don't do sports. No. The D is for division. Okay. So she wanted to play for a Division One team. So she transferred to Coastal Carolina and moved to Myrtle Beach, South okay. Carolina. Have you ever been there? Yeah, I have been. They have a really big Mustang car show. Oh, mm-hmm. great. <laughs> When she got there, she tried out for their soccer team, but their entire roster was already filled, so she couldn't play. She was already there. She was already enrolled in classes, so she moved into an off-campus apartment and started job hunting to pay for her life and her tuition and everything. She decided to go with the best-paying job she could find, which was at a strip club. I knew you were going to... As soon as you said the best-paid job, I knew you were going to say she was a stripper. I mean, hello? If I had the body for it, I would be a stripper. Okay, but she wasn't a stripper. Oh. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you burst the man- my Well, the manager wanted her to be a dancer at first. Okay. She's a really pretty girl. She's got like girl next door vibes. Okay. The manager wanted her to be a dancer, but she told him the most she could offer was to be a waitress. Okay. So Good she told her. him, <laughs> she told him, quote, but I'm going to be a classy waitress. Ooh. End quote. So she started working there, serving drinks. She had the type of personality where she liked to talk to people, okay. engage with them, make them feel comfortable. She was just a people person. So the complete Can't opposite relate. of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. In January of 2015, Chelsea was working one of her shifts at the club, and this is when she met 23-year-old Alex. 
he got a beer, they had like surface level conversation, talking back and forth, that's what conversation is, and then they started kind of talking about their lives. He told her he was from Durham, North Carolina. He told her about his family, his mom, dad, his sister. He said that he was in Myrtle Beach working a job. He didn't tell her what he did for a living. He didn't go into any detail about it. He just said that he was working a job. Chelsea felt herself drawn to Alex in a way she'd never felt before. He had an air of mystery around him, like swirling, like an aura. I wonder what color his aura was. (laughs) That's because he's a serial killer, so... (laughs) But she wanted to know more about him. She said he was smart and kind. Jesus fucking (laughs) Christ, how many trains do we need? She said, quote, He had these absolutely beautiful aquamarine eyes. And when you looked at him, it was like you saw the Caribbean. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Pretty eyes. You saw adventure. You saw a beauty that nobody else, you know, had. End quote. So she was super fucking in love with this dude. Oh, girl. Wow. She wanted his dick. And his eyes. (laughs) And his eyeballs on a silver platter. So they kept talking while Chelsea worked. The night ended. Alex left. Chelsea went home. And that was that. They didn't make any plans together or anything like that. She didn't know if she'd ever see him again. The next night, he returned to the club. So he had a thing for her, too. Mm-hmm. And the night after that, Chelsea said they just became really quick friends. He asked for her number one night, and she gave it to him. She didn't think anything of it. You know, like, why wouldn't she right. give him her number? Aquamarine, baby. <laughs> So the two started spending a lot of time together, and the more time they spent together, the closer they became. I mean, that's just what happens, I think. She described him as coming into her life and just turning it upside down. And then one night, Alex was finally ready to tell Chelsea about his job. Okay. You ready for this? I'm ready for it. Sock it to me. They were at Chelsea's apartment, just hanging out on the couch, and he looked over and he asked, Can I trust you? (gasps) Did your heart sink? Yeah. I think it, it, like... Ba-dum, 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 faster. Mm-hmm. He told her he was a DOD agent. Okay. Department of Defense. He said he was in Myrtle Beach for a domestic terrorist mission. He told her that after high school, he joined the Army, and he was eventually recruited into the Special Forces. He said he has a distinguished military career, and his past experiences were incredibly traumatic, and it was getting really hard for him to complete his latest mission. Chelsea said, Quote, he didn't want to hurt people anymore. He didn't want to take people away from their families anymore. He didn't want that to be his job anymore. And I believed him. End quote. Oh, my God. Okay, so he is lying. Oh, fuck. He told Chelsea he was done. He wanted out of this job. And he told her he needed her help. And she wanted to help. Of course she did. She probably felt awful for him. Right. She said at that point he was essentially homeless. She was scared for him. She wanted him to be safe again and feel safe. So she invited him to move in with her. She had a spare room. She was going to talk to her boss and see if she could get him a job as a bouncer at the club or a server or sure. whatever she, whatever he could get. She promised that she would do whatever she could to help him, whatever he needed to get through the situation. Which is exactly what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. Alex accepted Chelsea's offer. But it came with a warning for her. He said his job, the position he was in, could put her in harm's way. He said he was being burned, his family was in danger, and now Chelsea was in danger. Because she knew about it all, too. So, here is the point where Chelsea gets the fuck up, takes his hand, and leads him out of her apartment. And she says, goodbye, baby. I never want to see you or your Caribbean eyes again. Get the fuck lost. She's too naive. 
And you could tell on the show, she hated herself for all of this. Oh, like, no. she could not believe that she let herself just, okay, just wait. See, but I, and I like, hate and it was, that. it was, it was like. Apparent. Yes. I hate that obvious. she now, I mean, I don't know exactly what is happening now, but I hate when someone has yeah. to feel like We've that because of someone We've all had moments like else. that. You look back and you're like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Um, hello, my first marriage. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's like. Okay. She didn't tell anyone about Alex because he had her so scared that she didn't want to put anyone else in danger too, is right. what she said. Oh my God. At this point, she, she'd only known him for a couple weeks and it was long enough for him to just walk right in and change everything that she knew about her life. So on March 6th, 2015, just after 1 p.m., a housekeeper, we're kind of like switching gears here a little bit. Okay. A housekeeper working at the Landmark Hotel in Myrtle Beach and entered room 1208. This room was supposed to be empty, but the housekeeper noticed things left behind, like luggage, personal items kind of strewn about, like, you know, like we just left our hotel room the other day, shit everywhere. So she thinks, okay, it's kind of weird, but some people, you know, miss their checkout sometimes. Like, it just happens. So her supervisor told her to just go ahead and prepare the room for the next guest. You know, like, work around the suitcases and everything and just kind of clean up as much as you can. So she went to service the room, and when she pulled the comforter down, she noticed the sheets were gone. So it was just a bare mattress. Okay. And there was a large blood stain soaking through the bare mattress. She noped the fuck out of there, and management immediately called police. Officers responded and kind of checked out the room, but besides the blood stain... Yeah, besides that little, little blood stain, you know, mm-hmm. nothing nothing yep. suspicious at all. And they didn't see anything else out of the ordinary. Like, You don't need to on. see anything else out of the ordinary, know, you guys. I know. So <laughs> That's out of the ordinary enough. Uh-huh. That would be enough for me, but what do I know? So they kind of had to look at all possibilities. They thought maybe someone hurt themselves on accident and went to the hospital, and it would explain why they didn't have the chance to check out of their room because they were at the hospital. They hurt themselves. You know what you you could do? You could get the name of them and then call the area hospitals, Mm -hmm. and you could see if they're there. Mm -hmm. They're probably all male investigators, too, so it could be a period, you know? (laughs) When someone starts their period unsuspecting, they have gallons of blood that just leaks right out of them Mm -hmm. in the bed. Up at the front of the bed, too, where your head goes, you know? (laughs) So the cops had hotel staff secure the room so that whoever was staying in it, when they returned, they could talk to them about what happened in there. Honey, you're not talking to anyone about <laughs> they what happened. They had their period. They, went, they just ran out to get tampons. They'll be right back. Oh, God. A few hours passed with no sign of the occupant, and the police started to, be, started to become suspicious. Like, <laughs> they, just, they just started. Mm-hmm. Oh. All right. I digress. They returned to the room to do another search, and they noticed something that they missed earlier. They saw a hole in the mattress that looked like it could have been from a bullet. So then they saw the twenty-two caliber shell casings on the floor. This was when what they... What re- the fuck? How do you miss yeah. all of this in a fucking hotel room? Uh-huh. Yep. This was when they realized they probably had a homicide on their hands. Love it. So they had to do an even more thorough search of the room and go look under the beds. The beds were on pedestals, so they had to lift the mattresses up to look underneath them. Like hotel, you know, a lot of hotel rooms, it's like just yeah. solid wood underneath. Right. Um, and that's where they found two dead bodies. They were middle-aged, male and a female. Their bodies had visible signs of trauma, and police could see several gunshot wounds. So they thought, okay, is this the couple that checked into the room? 
they looked into the records and saw the room was assigned to Carrie Turner, Stephen Turner, and a man named Thomas Daly. Records confirmed that they'd been staying in the hotel for two nights, so they pulled surveillance footage from the night they checked in, and two of the people on the tapes appeared to be the same two people they'd found killed in the room. Okay. Carrie and Steve Turner. But they still had to figure out who the third person was, the Thomas Daly. You could see that this man had come with the couple, but on the tapes you can kind of see him like walking at a distance behind them. Okay, He's kind sure. of just shuffling along. So they figured this was most likely the missing occupant, Thomas Daly. But they didn't know where he was or if he had a connection to the murders of Carrie and Steve or what. Sure. So they run the three names through a national database to try to get more information about these people. And in the meantime, they got more info from the hotel. So they found that at the time of check-in, a silver Kia was registered to that room. They checked the parking lot, no silver Kia in sight. They thought whoever killed Carrie and Steve might have taken it. So they issued a bowl over the vehicle. They also found the credit card on file for the room was Carrie Turner's, but neither the card or Carrie's purse were left at the crime scene. Okay. They were missing from the room. They figured if the murderer stole the couple's cards, maybe they could track and see if it was being used anywhere. Sure. Basic. I wrote basic. Basic. Was it, <laughs> basic. Was it in all caps with a period? Obviously. Yeah. Okay. So meanwhile, CSI is doing their shit in the hotel room, looking for DNA, fingerprints, anything they might be able to use to identify the suspect. Detectives go back to the hotel to interview the staff and the housekeeper that tried to clean the room that morning. She told them something huge that she didn't before because they didn't ask okay gotcha. before sure they thought it was an accident period stain <laughs> <laughs> she said the first time she knocked on the door to gain entry to do her job a male voice on the other side told her he's not ready yet come back later what mm -hmm. and based on the coroner's estimation of when carrie and steve died they were able to figure out that whoever answered the housekeeper was not one of the turners because they were dead already sure so when they speak to the front desk clerk, detectives learn that at 9.17 that morning, there was a young couple, male and female, at the front desk. They were trying to extend the stay for what? room 1208. Dun, okay. dun, dun. But it wasn't Carrie Turner or... No. Okay. So they just... were middle-aged. This was a young couple. Okay. Management told detectives that these two people were not reg registered to the room. They didn't give their names. So the clerk said, no, we can't do that for you. But... If you bring one of the occupants down, then we can extend the stay. Okay. And then the couple left the front desk and didn't return. Video footage shows them walk out, get into a silver Kia. Oh my fucking God. Okay. And drive away. They put out an APB with the couple's description and they started to get some tips. They did some social media digging into the deceased couple. They learned they were middle-aged, married, lived in Durham, North Carolina, and were retired, but they couldn't find any information about the third occupant, Thomas Daly, who was still missing, and they still didn't know what connection he had to Carrie and Steve. There wasn't any video footage of him leaving the hotel either. Then a hit on Carrie's credit card pops up. Someone used the card at a Walmart in a neighboring town four hours after the bodies were discovered. They go to that Walmart and pull footage from the purchase, and it shows the same young couple that were trying to extend the stay for the room 1208, buying a fucking television. Oh, <laughs> that is exactly what I would do after I murdered someone. Need. Yeah, mm -hmm. you need a TV. We need to watch all the footage of them okay. <laughs> trying to find them. There was someone else in the Walmart footage, too. It's the same guy who was walking into the hotel with the Turners. Thomas Daly. Thomas Daly. Okay. On the video, they seem calm, like normal. They don't seem like panicked or anything. 
So detectives tracked down some of the Turner's friends to find out what connection these three people had to them. Mm-hmm. Friends told them that the Turners visited Myrtle Beach a lot because they wanted to retire there. They were probably there to look for a retirement home. That they makes did, me they sad. They did that. They were kind of going back and forth, looking at properties and everything. I know. It is sad. They also find out that Thomas Daly is Carrie Turner's brother. They told oh. detectives that Thomas had a mental disability and that he had the mental capacity of about a five-year-old. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now he's with this couple. Okay. This makes a lot of sense now. Mm-hmm. I mean, more sense than it did. Okay. When Carrie and Thomas's parents passed away, he couldn't care for himself. So Carrie and Steve took him in. It wasn't really like smooth sailing. It was... I guess it was really hard to get Thomas to do, like, tasks, like bathe himself. Sure. And I mean, fi- a five-year-old mentality. He would become sort of, you know, a little bit aggressive. Sure. And it was just a huge adjustment for them to suddenly have to care for him. So police began wondering if, because of his condition, could Thomas possibly become agitated and violent enough to kill? Or is he a victim of this other younger couple's persuasion, which is disgusting? While they were digging into the Turners' past, police also learned that about six months before they were murdered in the hotel room, the Turners' house had burned down. When the fire happened, Steve and Carrie were on a cruise. And I suppose it was suspicious. Their house was destroyed and they knew it was arson. Oh, wow. Okay. It was obvious. Okay. And now they're dead. So if these two events were connected, why? Like, did someone have it out for them? It Mm -hmm. seems like it. So Myrtle Beach detectives contacted Durham authorities and learned that they were never able to press charges, but they had a person of interest in the arson case. Steve and Carrie's son, Alex Turner, our boy with the baby blues. What? Uh Uh-huh. No. Wait. Do I have this right? Alex is the one that Chelsea is seeing. Mm Mm-hmm. And Alex is the son of this old couple who were just murdered. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> She's excited about this. <laughs> yeah. And so that means Thomas Daly is his uncle. I'm glad that you didn't say until now. Secrets. Yeah. Secret secrets are no fun. Yes, they are. Fuck yourself. <laughs> God. <laughs> Can someone make me never do any of this kind of shit again? Okay. And he was the person of interest in burning down the house. Really? Okay. But answer me this. Was he... Were, was he estranged from his parents? I'm about to tell you. Okay, okay, okay. Tell me. They I need learned, to know now. <laughs> they learned that Alex had a troubled past. He had drug issues. His actions were starting to escalate. He was just getting into a lot of trouble. He began stealing. He had run-ins with the law. And he was on probation in North Carolina. And also, he had Caribbean blue eyes. He did. He was completely financially dependent on his parents. Oh, my God. Yep. And one of those. They were enabling him. And it obviously strained their relationship. Sure. Um, All of their arguments revolved around drugs and money. So Alex shot right to the top of their suspect list when they found out he violated his probation and left Durham about two weeks before the murders. He was arrested in Southside Beach two nights before the murders for drug paraphernalia and unlawfully carrying an AR-15 Are you and a 9mm handgun. me? But Alex wasn't alone. 19-year-old Chelsea Griffin was arrested with him. Chelsea, you're throwing your life away. Come on. Come on, Chelsea. Alex and Chelsea were released the next morning, and less than 48 hours later, Alex's parents, Steve and Carrie, were found dead. Detectives showed the arresting officer the surveillance footage of the young couple at the front desk of the hotel that they had. Okay. And he confirmed that it was the same couple he'd arrested. 
So they just had to find them, and Thomas Daly, too. He was still missing. Do people forget that there is surveillance footage? You would, I mean, <laughs> obviously. You know what I mean? So were they able to see, did they say anything in this documentary that you watched about, like, seeing the um, Alex go into the hotel room or the couple go out of the hotel room or anything? No. No? There wasn't footage of, of like, in the hallway. Gotcha. Okay. They found Chelsea's apartment completely empty when they went when they went there and searched it um so no clues there but shortly after they got a tip that the turner's silver kia had been spotted nearby so they go to the monarch apartments where the car was located and see a couple who matched alex and chelsea's descriptions enter one of the units they also saw a man who matched thomas daly's description going in and out of the balcony of that apartment so detectives call in a swat team which kind of shocked that me. That escalated like, so yeah. very quickly. Uh-huh. Okay, I I, but I'm too. here for it. Yeah. So the team gets into position, then they enter the apartment. They're able to take Alex and Chelsea into custody without much in- incident. Mm-hmm. But Chelsea kind of freaks out. And they found Thomas unharmed, which good. is good. Detectives said Chelsea was acting very aggressive and defiant. She still went with them, but she was screaming about how she never hurt anyone they had no proof she would never do that so they started to think okay maybe she's the one calling the shots here like maybe she's the ringleader they still didn't know at this point they detained alex chelsea and thomas and interviewed alex first he told police that he'd been in south carolina for three or four months he said he went to a drug rehab in wilmington and then to a halfway house on 19th avenue and then he met chelsea at the strip club and started living with her, and one thing led to another. They learned that Chelsea's dad gave her money to bond her and Alex out of jail the morning after they were arrested the first time with the drugs and the guns. I bet Chelsea's dad was upset. Like, (laughs) not only her, but he helped Alex get out too. Come on, Chelsea's dad. Let her sit in there for a little bit. Exactly. Teach her a fucking lesson. Oh my god. Okay, so he bailed both of them out. Yeah, after they were arrested. I wonder how much that was. I don't know. The bondsman called Stephen Carey. Alex's parents, Mm -hmm. who were still in Durham at this point. Okay, okay. And said, hey, your kid's in trouble in Surfside. So Alex's parents knew right away that he'd been arrested. They came down to check on Alex. (sighs) So he's the reason they came in the first place. Got that hotel room, brought Thomas with, because they had to. When Alex and Chelsea were bonded out after that arrest, Stephen Carey took them out to eat at an IHOP and spent the entire meal trying to convince Alex to come back to Durham, come home. Carey was worried about her son. She wanted him to come back and just try to figure things out and get on the right path again. Later that evening, so this is the evening after they were bonded out for being arrested the first time, Alex and Chelsea went to her apartment and they talked about Alex maybe going back home to live with his parents again. Um, And the next morning, he left Chelsea's to go spend the day with them. He still didn't really know what he was going to do, if he was going to stay in Myrtle Beach or go back home. So they spend the day together, Carrie, Steve, Alex, and Thomas. And Alex decides to spend that night in the hotel with his family. Of course he does. the night of the murders. So this is what Alex is telling police. This is his story. That's convenient. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. Um, He said when they got there, they were all tired and stayed up for maybe about another hour or so, just talking and watching TV. Everything was normal. One big happy family. mm -hmm. His parents were laying in one of the beds, and Alex and his uncle Thomas were laying in the other. Alex said he put his handgun under his pillow because he sleeps like that every single night, and everyone went to sleep. He then says he woke up a a while later to gunshots. He said he shot up from the bed to see his uncle Thomas Daly standing over Steve and Carrie's bed with the gun. Alex said he took the gun from Thomas, looked at his parents. He knew they were dead, so he thought, my parents are now gone. 
what do I have left but to protect my uncle? So he said he went to Chelsea's and told her what happened, and of course they were panicking, and they go back to the Landmark Hotel and realize there's no way they can get these two bodies out of there. Alex said he kissed his parents and then put them under the bed. Does this sound like a crock of shit? Yeah, it sounds like a gigantic fucking crock of shit. Yep, and And I hate him and his Caribbean eyes. Mm-hmm. Fuck you, Alex. And he said he was a fucking DOD agent. Like, shut the fuck up. You know what? If I'm at a strip club and someone comes up to me and says that they're a DOD agent, I call bullshit. Okay? Oh, always. Fuck off. Always. And also, fuck him for planting that on his mentally handicapped uncle. Especially. Go That's fuck disgusting. yourself. Mm-hmm. No, bitch, you did it. You fucking put their bodies under a bed in a shitty Mm -hmm. fucking hotel. I don't know if the hotel was shitty, but I'm just going to say it was. And you just decided to carry on with your fucking life. What pisses me off is he's saying he was, he's got a distinguished military career and he's an agent and all this stuff. And he was really in rehab in a halfway house. Right. Living off of his parents. Which, I mean, bravo for going to rehab in a halfway house. Yes. But... That Don't doesn't pretend to mean... be you're in the in the military. Exactly. And that doesn't mean that you get to fucking kill the people who tried no. to help you the most. Now, did he okay. do it? <laughs> so when police talked to Thomas, they really, really didn't feel like he could have been capable of committing these murders. They didn't even think he knew, understood what happened. Okay, sure. He couldn't communicate what had even taken place. He couldn't tell them. Um, now, Chelsea was not cooperating. <laughs> Chelsea. She lawyered up right off the bat. She refused to talk to them, besides proclaiming her innocence over and over again. Sure. But despite that, both her and Alex were charged with two counts of first-degree murder. They were seen together on all of that video footage, you know, from the desk at the hotel and Walmart, and it led police to assume that she was just as involved as Alex was. When Chelsea finally talks with her attorney, he tells her to just cooperate with the police, talk to them, and maybe we can lessen your charges. Oh so God. she does. On April 15th, 2015, Chelsea sits for a formal interview. She told them that on March 5th, Alex did stay with his parents in their hotel room, like he said. She wasn't expecting to see him again until later the next day. But in the early morning hours of the 6th, he came to her apartment, woke her up. He was shaking her, saying, my parents are dead, my parents are dead. He told her he and his uncle Thomas went for a walk along the beach to smoke a cigarette, and when they got back to the hotel room, his parents had been shot. What this the is fuck? what he told Chelsea and hang- what she believes. Okay, hang on. So had Chelsea been able able to talk to Alex since his interview? I don't think so because he was still in custody. Like, okay, they were separate. Okay, in custody. why the fuck? I mean, not that I I don't. I mean, obviously, I'm glad that they didn't, but why the fuck didn't they get their fucking story straight in, in all of those this hours? Is, well, this is just what he told her that night. God. This is what she believes. And then Alex changed it up yeah, when he was interviewed. Dumbass. So, but this is what she thinks is the truth. So she thinks she's doing the right thing. Right. Saying, tell, yeah. Right. Uh. Which she is doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, she thinks she is. Chelsea said she believed the Turners were killed by secret government agents. Oh, no. Uh-huh. Oh, honey. God. <laughs> she told police about all the things Alex told her, the bullshit lies about how it, about how it's his job to murder people on behalf of the government, and he was in danger, she was in danger. According to Chelsea, Alex's military commanders turned on him when he failed to complete his final mission. Like, honey, this... bunny, no. <laughs> this, though, okay, that's fucked up. But this is the best thing that could have happened to her for her because mm-hmm. if he would have told her everything and she knew everything, yeah, you know what I mean, then they probably, and their stories did match up, mm-hmm. she probably wouldn't, she 
they would have thought that she was in on yeah. it too. Well, she's being charged with first degree yeah, murder. But I assume that this still. is probably going to help. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She told Alex, you know, there are cameras to prove that you were walking on the beach when they were shot. Sure. Why don't you just call the police and have them get the footage? It Duh. can prove that it was it was an agent that did it and not you. And <laughs> Alex said, are you stupid, Chelsea? The people in command have already set it up to make it look like I did it. Did this dude really think he was a DOD? I don't think so. No. He told her his boss was framing him for the murder. So Chelsea helped Alex move his parents' bodies and put them under the bed. She was terrified for her life and her family's lives at this point. So she did it. Yeah. She was totally, she was just believing everything Mm -hmm. he was feeding her. So then the detective told Chelsea, you know, everything Alex told you about the DOD and his missions, Alex told us none of that. And she goes, you don't know Alex. (laughs) You don't know anything about it. The detective told her, no, you don't know Alex. Here's his rap sheet. Oh my God. And handed her a four page document filled with all of these charges like arson, grand theft larceny and they had still only known each other a few weeks at this point right it's yeah. not like a bunch of time had passed huh. oh my god okay yeah okay and that's when she realized just how conned she was by okay. alex but she's hey, finally getting it at now. least she finally gets yeah. it and she's not still one of those yeah. women who just, like i said you know, on the show you can tell like you can just see it on her face yeah. like how oh. much she regretted it yeah and I'm how sure. she couldn't believe that she let it let this happen right. like, he must have been so convincing to her or maybe it was just the eyes. Maybe he had black voodoo magic, too. Yeah. Jesus, fuck. So after realizing that Chelsea really did believe everything Alex told her, authorities reduced her charges to accessory after the fact. Okay. Because she did still play a role in all of it. She did help move the bodies. Oh. She knew about it. She didn't go to the police. I hate that. Because she was scared. You have to go by the law. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You can't just change the law because yeah. you feel bad for her. But at the same time, like, fuck. Mm-hmm. She just didn't have the knowledge that any of it was going to happen. Right. So six months after the murders, Alex pled guilty to two counts of first degree murder and he was sentenced to 47 years in prison. Good. And just so it's clear, I know everybody listening, you're not stupid, but Alex did it. Yeah. It was not an agent. Like, that was... Just so it's clear. So there's no confusion. But he's still never admitted to pulling the trigger. So they think the motive is that his parents just interfered with his plan. He wanted to be with Chelsea. He wanted to stay there with Chelsea. He didn't want to come home. He was mad his parents wouldn't give him the car or their credit card. Yeah, maybe they had said, if you don't come back to Durham, we're going Mm -hmm. to cut you off financially. Yeah. And money is a big fucking motivator. trying to be good parents right they they want to help their son who by the way is a grown fucking man mm-hmm. who should help his damn self right he if Fuck you know off. but he i don't i can't i just can't yeah. i can't wrap my fucking mind around it in march of 2016 chelsea took an alfred plea to her charge which is basically where like you're saying that you did it but you didn't right she served 18 months before she was released in October of 2017. 18 months. Mm. She's moving on just the best way that she knows how. Um, she's trying to forget Alex. She refuses to speak to him, even though he's tried to contact her. She said, quote, you messed my life up. I did my time. You do yours. End quote. Good. Alex is incarcerated at the McCormick Correctional Institution in McCormick, South Carolina. He's not eligible for parole, and he's scheduled to be released in February of 2062. I hope he's dead before then. Mm -hmm. So the moral of the story, if I'm correct in assuming so, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, Mm -hmm. is you should never trust a man with Caribbean eyes. And if you are a man with Caribbean eyes, knock it the fuck off. 
Yeah. Whatever you're doing, because we know you're doing something. Pluck Knock your eyeballs out so they don't fool anybody. Yeah. Put them in a jar. Where put do you them know? in a jar. Put them in a jar beside your bed, okay? <laughs> and just look at them with your non-eyes. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy story, though? That's really fucked up. I feel up. bad for I her. I feel bad for her. And when you were, you didn't tell me the story that you were going to do, but you had kind of said that you were feeling bad for the serial killer yeah, woman. and you were like, And Why? I was like, go fuck yourself, Katie. You're an idiot. You don't feel bad for for killers. No. But now I understand what you're talking about. I feel like we wouldn't know until we're in that situation because I've right. been really naive about things before, too. Especially but, with a boy with Caribbean blue eyes. Yeah, you can't fucking, it, it's, they <sighs> suck you in. Mm-hmm. Um, because I was thinking when you were talking about how you felt bad for her mm. that she killed people but she was like forced to do it or something mm. this girl didn't even kill anybody she no, moved two she bodies didn't. i know you know what i mean not that that's great and i thought it was a good yeah like, intriguing story yeah i like it and it was i really like how you did it too so bravo Ta-da. i'm gonna listen to this episode Ooh. <laughs> real quick before we get into reading watching listening i am going to throw in a promotion from our friend over at forensic miles Okay, Katie, what are you reading, watching, listening? Give me all of the goods. I am still reading The Sundown Motel. It's good. Okay. I have, you would like it. I downloaded it, but I haven't Did even you? started it yet. Yeah. Well, because I'm trying to read Kat's book. I'm trying to read one of uh-huh. my books that I got. Oh, and we also bought 10 uh, books each at the signing. Yeah. I think we bought more than we sold. We Okay, but, we definitely bought more than we sold. Hello, honey. But I'm just excited. I have a lot of new reading material now yeah from all these lovely women yeah i went to try and read well actually keep going before i tell you mine okay i i don't know i don't watch a lot of tv really but i have been watching american idol auditions Ooh, it's just so you just sit there i love them it's mindless you just get to hear singing i cry at least twice do you during each episode you know what because they do their backstories and they're always sad i force myself to not cry because i don't like to feel emotion my therapist is really working on this with me so i maybe i have some blacked up tear ducts and if i just watch american idol it'll solve all my fucking i'm gonna tell rachel that tomorrow when i see her it takes a lot to make me cry like it really does but there's just something about it and then they it's always a sad story and then they always just sing so beautifully katie i just love it okay and what the fuck are you doing? Um, listening to Counterclock actually added an episode. It was supposed to be like a 12-part series, but uh-huh. they got some new information. Ooh. So they added an episode. Okay. So caught up on that. Then all my regular pods that I listened to. Yeah. About it. What about you? I So I'm reading a million books. I'm reading the arc of Kat's novel, A Fighting Chance. Mm-hmm. We ha- I have an art copy of that that'll be released this month and i'll put it in the show notes the link to pre-order and all that fun stuff i feel like with like the book signing and everything i was just all over the place so i haven't got to do much of anything we've had no time we've been preparing and packing and and that's the fucking hilarious part of it all we weren't fucking preparing because we were supposed to do a goddamn raffle basket you know what for all the preparation we did and where did we find ourselves what did we have done nothing nothing where did we find ourselves at 9 a.m on a saturday morning we the walmart (laughs) wine aisle okay that's where we were Mm-hmm. And then we found ourselves in the candle aisle and the we tissue buy, paper aisle. So if, you probably have no idea what we're talking about, but we were supposed to have a raffle basket for this book signing and we Wait. totally forgot. But we didn't. We were talking about it on a Wednesday and then on a Saturday morning, I said, Katie, guess the fuck what? We didn't do a raffle basket. That's how quickly we forget about things. So yeah, eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. And liquor we knew aisle at Walmart. Liquor, and we had to literally <laughs> Google: Can we buy liquor at eight a.m. 
we didn't know because in, in, in our county. town yeah yeah in our town i think it's a certain time maybe on the weekend or something i don't even know but anyway so we did that and we knew we were going to be late but then we had to stop for coffee anyway <laughs> we went way out of the way way out of the way to find duncan anyway so that is what i am reading i'm not watching anything i do need to get to the reunion of love is blind you know Ooh, because you it's love it my shitty reality tv that i love um listening to i tried to listen to the new morbid podcast this morning but we had a crier so couldn't mm. do that and a lot of the new podcasts come out today so maybe if i have any time for myself i'll listen to it but it's probably pretty doubtful <laughs> so all right well. yeah that's great do you want to talk about our social media okay so if you would like to I'm thinking. That's why I'm talking so slowly. <laughs> if you would like to send us an email, a recommendation, a story, anything you want, you can email us at cruelandunusualthepod at gmail.com. We love Instagram. I think it's our favorite. That one is cruelandunusualthepod as well. Um, we post some really funny shit in our stories and pictures from all the episodes. Our Facebook group is Cruel and Unusual the Group. And we talk about all kinds of shit in there. So come join all us kinds in of there. Shit. It's fun. It's a good time. I also started a Twitter, which we were super against, but I just figured it would be... I wasn't be... against it. It's just I was. We didn't have one. Oh, I okay. was because I just don't find the value in Twitter. But there's a lot of people on Twitter. Yeah. And I've met some people already. Already. So it's pretty cool. So With I was wrong. Our friend from uh, Forensic Miles. Yeah. And we have some other friends that are going to be coming up in our episodes, like, that I'm not going to mention, but I'll mention when it's time. So our Twitter is Cruel Unusual Pod. Also, we have our Patreon. So if you want to be a patron of ours, we have tiers as long as low as $3 a month and you get some cool shit. So mm-hmm. if you love our podcast and you want to help support us in continuing to make episodes and provide content for you guys, we would love to have you as a patron and hang out with you over there because mm-hmm. you're going to get a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, over you there. get really cool stuff in return. Yeah, right. Exactly. So. You're not just giving us $3 to put out episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You're going to get a bunch of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can actually see what those things are when you go to our Patreon page, which will be yeah. linked. It'll tell you all about it. Yeah. And we also have merch. So we have mm-hmm. stickers, totes, and shirts, and hoodies, and, and all mugs. that. And drugs. No, no and drugs. Mugs <laughs> and drugs. And we're having a pool party. Lori, a pool party. <laughs> no, but no. we do have merch, and that's on Teespring, Cruel and Unusual, the podcast. Uh, it'll be linked, I'm yeah, sure, somewhere. Links are everywhere in our link trees. And we're also putting out our first single. It's called Lori Pool Party. You'll be you able can- to download it on iTunes. <laughs> it'll be great. I'm just, I'm kidding. I hope you, that you know that I'm kidding. I hope you know we're kidding, but now that's a really good idea, so we'll probably do it. We're dropping our mixtape with Christina Hart, okay? Mm-hmm. And also, listen, Lori pool party is going to be our new intro song so say goodbye to the guy in the guitar no i'm kidding all right all right love you bye